0: Today's episode of Mike G in the Morning is brought to you by Elite Tactical Armory, your firearm storage solution in the Lehigh Valley. Elite Tactical Armory is a commercial armory where you can rent secure storage for your firearms. Whether it's because you're traveling out of town or you're dealing with false accusations, you've got legal problems, a family member on probation or parole, or you've just run out of room for all your precious babies, Elite Tactical Armory is the storage solution for you. You can find out more about Elite Tactical Armory at EliteTacticalArmory.com or PACommercialArmory.com. That's EliteTacticalArmory.com or PACommercialArmory.com. And be sure and tell them Mike G sent you.
1: Good morning to our
0: loyal WFYO listeners around the world. Welcome back to your Philadelphia Friday, only on Fox News Radio. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in once again, because you still have the right to hear and the right to be heard. We're here with you on 1180 AM and broadcasting real time. At 1180wfyl.com, coming to you straight from the birthplace of liberty here in the greater Philadelphia area. And we continue to fight day in and day out as your voice of freedom in the Delaware Valley. I'm attorney Mike Giaromita from Giaromita Law Offices, but everybody knows me as Mike G. And you're listening to Mike G in the Morning with The Law Matters. And you can listen to our program every Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. So let's be heard. We've got a very special guest with us here this morning. Guy Smith is the author of Guns and Control, a nonpartisan guide to understanding mass public shootings, gun accidents crime, public carry, suicides, defensive use, and more. Guy is internationally known as a gun control policy analyst. He's the founder and chief researcher at the Gun Facts Project. In 20 years as a policy analyst, he's contributed to public understanding of the realities of guns and their control through both secondary and primary research. In the past two decades, Gun Facts has been directly distributed to more than 165 countries around the world. We're very happy to have him with us here this morning. Guy, are you with us? I am with you, Mike G, and thank you so much for having me on. Oh, We very much appreciate it. Our listeners are going to absolutely love this. So let's start at the beginning, Guy. Often people find out that I represent law-abiding gun owners for a living, And they ask if I grew up on a farm. Now, quite the opposite. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, where the mythical law-abiding gun owner really didn't even exist. So you've been doing this for over two decades. How did you get involved in your line of work?
1: Well, you know, it's it was quite accidental. My background is in quantitative management sciences, a lot of research, methodology, surveying work. And I grew up down in a part of the country where everyone owned guns, but no one ever shot each other. So what I lived in my personal life and what I saw on the evening news were entirely different things. When you take a kid like that, you give him a college education, heavy in statistics, and you naturally start saying, well, why is there this difference? And that started me down this rabbit hole of 20 years of just plowing into the criminology, the hard data sets, trying to figure out what's what and why there was this vast gap. And that took me into several different corners. About a decade ago, I wrote a book on a uh, On propaganda analysis, because if you study gun control long enough, you run into a boatload of propaganda. And I just had I had to write up a few notes on that one, too.
0: So uh, what was the first thing you did with regards to, to firearms and statistics?
1: Well, this is how it all got started. I had been pouring through some data one day. And then on the evening news, I saw a spokesperson for one of the gun control groups. And they said, blah, blah, blah. And I knew that was wrong because I'd been staring at the data that morning. Mm. So in my political naivety of the time, I decided to write the fellow a letter. And I said, hey, saw you on the news this is what you said. That's incorrect. Here's the hard data. And I suggest that you update your speaking notes. Well, about a year later, the exact same fellow was on TV and he told the exact same myth. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, yeah, I don't put up with liars very well. So that started the mass merging of this quantitative analysis. You know, I'm a number nut, so I've got to do that. And trying to get people to quit lying. And in that one message to get people to quit lying, I have failed miserably. But I keep, <laughs> I keep pushing and pushing and, and little bit by little bit, you know, I see some cracks in the windows where people have basically at least dialed back some of their rhetoric.
0: Now, at least to some degree, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light, right? You'll, you'll be able to show everybody uh, where these lies are coming from. And as, as an attorney who studies this stuff at the state and the federal level, drives me nuts when I hear politicians or uh, these people who... Or pro-gun control and I know that you're nonpartisan and everything like that but from my perspective I hear a lot of people coming out on the gun control side and just stating things that are are totally false about the state of the law as it is Uh, for example making it seem like people are ordering guns on the internet and they're showing them up at their door and things of that nature talking about all these different uh, interstate transfers that are taking place without background checks with no problems under federal law how often is it that you're listening to somebody have some kind of conversation about gun control and spouting off some kind of purported statistics, and you feel like you want to pull your hair out of your head? Uh,
1: my stopwatch doesn't spin that fast. It happens <laughs> after a um, Here's the thing. It's human nature. Now, now, I've heard people on both the pro and the anti-gun side say some really uh, dumb things. Um, the problem is that a lie will make it around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoots. Mm. People run with something that sounds good to them. And so I'm not going to blame people for repeating bad information. You know, that's confirmation bias. That's people wanting to say something that sounds right to them. But it, 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 the problem is that there are parts of this debate that are actively manufacturing bad information. And that's where it gets really, really tough because it's one thing if Susie down the street says something dumb and you can correct her. It's another thing when a politician who has a lot of money and has a lot of special interest groups and they all combine and they manufacture what looks like legitimate research and then puts that under the nose of a reporter – And reporters, God love their pointed little heads, they have a numeracy that knows no boundary, and they don't do even fundamental uh, fact-checking on this research. So that becomes part of the public ether. That gets repeated over and over again. And then poor people like me have to spend 20 years just trying to calm people down and say, no, that's not really what's going on.
0: I think that one of the concerns of a lot of folks would be that you have these politicians who are proposing legislation based on these uh, statistics or ideas that may be faulty. Are there any percentage of politicians out there who do have a
1: handle on the truth? I'm going to say that there are a very, very small subset. And even some people on the pro-gun side, because they're politicians and they cannot become Uh, topic matter experts Mm -hmm. even they screw up things once in a while Um, about the only people who really get it deeply uh, are the folks over in the libertarian party Mm -hmm. and the only reason I bring that up is that those guys are just you know geeks they are numbers nuts (laughs) they are policy (laughs) walks they will read I mean I read books on criminology you know, to keep up with my studies. And I'm really surprised when I meet somebody in the Libertarian Party who said, oh, yeah, I read that book, too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody call me a gun law nerd the other day, so I guess we could be <laughs> pals in that respect, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I'm a little bit of that myself. UCLA Law School has an invitation-only forum of constitutional scholars who discuss the Second Amendment and related Uh, Systems And uh, I've been a member of that forum, I think, since 2006. I'm not a constitutional scholar, but, you know, I've gotten smart enough that they let me play in their sandbox.
0: That's fascinating. That's awesome stuff. For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G. in the Morning with The Law Matters, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. Back to Guy Smith over here, guns and control. Book just being released, guy. Like, released as far as the ebook goes, so far, right? And we have to wait a little while for the in print version. Is that true?
1: That's true. This is one of the weirdest book releases I've ever been involved with. But the ebook was released yesterday uh, on the first, and the hard copy book will be available on the fifteenth.
0: So, if you're listening to this program right now, you can go ahead and you can get the ebook. What I found to be very cool guy. It was that foreword from Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman, Mm -hmm. um, author of Grossman on combat. Incredible book. If you want to learn more about the physiological effects associated with the aftermath of a critical incident, often recommend that to those who attend my seminar. Um, What do people need to know about this book? Do you think that the common public can benefit from getting a hold of this book and, and the information that's in it?
1: Uh, Absolutely. The book was written for the average person, the average voter who needs to get their brain around the entire topic without their eyes crossing by being buried in stacks and stacks of statistics. (laughs) One. One of the things I've learned over my lifetime is some good data visualization, and I'm not the worst writer on the planet, so it's a little bit of an enjoyable book for such a dismal topic, and you can sit down and knock this out in a couple of days and believe that you actually have a handle on the subject. Um, And what's most important, though, is that the book relies almost exclusively on gold standard data sets, from the FBI, from the Bureau of Justice Statistics, from the Centers of Disease Control, uh, people like that. And none of the data is doctored. So it's being presented in its uh, raw form, but in a very ingestible way and in a way that helps you make sense of it all. Now,
0: I think there are a couple of reasons that come to my mind immediately as to why somebody would want to read this book. Number one is to understand When you're watching something on television that doesn't add up, when you're seeing a politician present something or seeing one of these pundits present something that isn't exactly true, uh, that's going to impact the way you listen to the rest of what they say throughout that conversation. And the second thing is that often people have these conversations back and forth. They can get pretty heated. There's no two ways about it. Uh, (laughs) But you want to be able to have an intelligent conversation, uh, aside from just saying, I don't think what you're saying is true. Uh, I watched an interview that you had a while ago, and they were asking about uh, gun homicides in the United States, talking about that. And uh, the guy made some kind of a claim along the lines of, this happens nowhere else in the civilized world, and America is by far and away number one. And you brought in your statistics in response to him, and his response to you was basically, "Nah, I don't think so." <laughs> that seems to be, <laughs> and that seems to be the response of people. We don't want to be the ones having that response. You often get into those discussions where people can't counteract them with statistics.
1: I, I get into every variety of conversation. I've had ones very similar to what you said. And, uh, yeah, I've gotten to the point where I've at least nailed down some certain response types that help. For example, I'll say, well, according to the FBI Uniform Crime Statistics, blah, 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 blah. And the other person will say, I don't believe that. And then I'll ask them, well, what is your objection to the data quality of the FBI statistics? You ask them a question like that, they cannot answer it because they've never taken the time to understand the data, understand the quality of the data, understand the source of the data, and asking them questions is one of the most effective ways of getting them to admit that they don't know what they're talking about. So, uh, if as long as you
0: bring out the source specifically and you flesh out these conversations. Do you ever have people who come around and, and sort of change their minds on some of these things? Or do you find that most people just dig their heels in and stick to their talking points?
1: Uh, well, it's a mixed bag, but I'll tell you what, one of the best days I ever had in my life was when I got an email from an anti-gun person. And I get emails from everybody, and they yell at me, and they scream at me, and they thank uh. me, and blah, blah, blah. But this guy said, look, I'm anti-gun, I'm still anti-gun, but I really like this blog post you did the other day because... You prove that what I've been saying for the last year is not right. And I appreciate that I'm no longer going to be risking my position by saying dumb things.
0: Well, that's at least respectable that the guy didn't want to go out there and say dumb things. The first guy you talked about didn't seem to mind that he was saying dumb things, right? <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm really surprised at how many people are content being dumb, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it fits the narrative, right? <laughs> well, it certainly it helps them along with getting through the day. If you believe X and somebody says Y... It's much easier to continue to believe X regardless of the facts. But, you know, way back when I was 18, I met my first real politician, a guy running for Congress. He wanted me to work on his, you know, door to door campaign. And he said, politics is all about saints, sinners and savables. You don't spend a lot lot of time talking to the saints because they already agree with you. You don't spend a lot of time talking to the centers because you'll talk yourself blue and they still won't agree with you. You go after the savables. And that's one of the reasons I wrote this book. I want everybody who's an independent voter, everyone who's a free thinker, everyone who doesn't have an opinion yet, just to sit down and read the data. And my book doesn't try to drive them one way or the other. And this way, we will have the swing voters better informed and they'll go to the polls in November and go, okay. I know who's feeding me uh, equine effluvium by the shovelful and who's not.
0: <laughs> I like that term. There's a very, very sophisticated term. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I grew up on a cattle ranch, I've got a lot of euphemisms for that. <laughs> there you go. I love
0: that. For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G. In the Morning with The Law Matters, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. Again, we've got Guy Smith, founder of the Gun Facts Project, author of Guns and Control. Ebook is available right now. Go ahead and get your hands on it. Don't be a dummy. We want to actually know what we're talking about when we're having these discussions.
1: Gunfacts.info. That's the correct website, is it, Guy? Gunfacts.info, and if people really prefer reading from dead trees, they can go ahead and order the print book now as well. (laughs) Uh, And it'll be there in just a couple of weeks, right? A couple of weeks. (laughs) uh,
0: That's perfect. Now, I wanted to get into something specific, if you don't mind. Uh, One of the major gripes that I've had over the last few weeks is you had the mayor of Chicago coming on out and blaming all the violence taking place on the federal government somehow, saying that it's President Trump's fault because he hasn't pushed forward any gun control measures, and that's why they're having all of these violent incidents take place over in Chicago. And one thing in particular she cited that drove me nuts is she talks about how, uh, she, uh, her claim at least, is that people are going over to Indiana or they're going over to another state And they're purchasing firearms, and they're bringing them back uh, uh, military-style assault weapons by the truckload, I think is what she said, (laughs) (laughs) and coming on back with impunity. And Now, one of the things that I've brought up on on television before is, number one, that under federal law, any transfers that take place interstate have to go through a federal firearms licensee. So it's not like you can sell a firearm to somebody, cash and carry no paperwork whatsoever if you're residents of different states. Uh, that's the Gun Control Act that's been around since, oh, uh, 1968. It ain't new. So we've we've got that measure in place. And then on on top of that, If you're looking at the Gun Control Act, you've got, uh, if a federal firearms licensee is effectuating that transfer, well, what happens? You have to fill out that 4473, that paperwork. You have to submit to that background check. And you have to also comply with the laws of the state from which the resident resides. And if it's a handgun, they can't even get it from an FFL who is from out of state. So you've got all these measures that are presently in place that would make whatever transfer she's alluding to illegal as it is. Um, Do you hear statistics based on these kinds of things come up all the time that uh, people are just uh, wildly going to different states, getting guns, bringing them back? Because I know places like New York. uh, I now reside in Pennsylvania. But on the East Coast, New York and New Jersey blaming it on places like Pennsylvania, saying, oh, it's a piece of cake. You go over there perfectly legally, no background check required, which is bogus. Is there anything in your uh, line of work that uh, sort of falls into this category?
1: Oh, man, there is so much information that I can, without fear of being contradicted by a rational person, claim that Mayor Lightfoot is out of her freaking mind. <laughs> um, here's here's the deal. The uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms every year publishes this wonderful data table which shows uh, the state from which a gun that was recovered at a crime scene uh, came from to the state that it was recovered in. Yeah. Here's what we see, and this applies to Illinois as well. Most of the guns used in crimes in a state come from that same state. Most of Illinois crime guns come from Illinois. I don't know what Illinois' exact number is from the last reporting year, but in most states it's well above 65 70%. Mm. Um, what was interesting, though, was that we took that data table And we used the old Brady gun control scorecard, you know, which attempted to tell people what were, you know, strict gun laws and what were lax ones. What we discovered was that in strict gun law states, most of the out-of-state guns come from other strict law states. They're not coming from lax law. Now, there's a little bit of a gotcha there because you go up to the Northeast, you have a cluster of states that all have strict laws. Sure. Here's the gimme it takes about 11 years on average for a gun from the time it was retailed to the time it's recovered at a crime scene. That's a long period of time. Most people move every four years. Most people don't move much further than 100 miles away from where they originally lived. So a lot of people live in state X. They'll move next door to state Y. They'll bring their legally acquired guns with them. And those guns eventually leak into the underground. That is the source of most out-of-state crime guns. It's not gun trafficking. It's the normal migration of the gun, a legal gun with legal owner. Wow, that is absolutely
0: fascinating. This is just one of the many, many reasons why people need to pick up a copy of this book. So many more things that we could discuss. You know, I want to just touch on this. I know that uh, you've got a limited amount of time with us here today, but something that's concerning a whole lot of people uh, this day and age with the pandemic, with riots, with looting going on, is the, the concept of defensive gun uses, right? Having the ability to protect yourself and to protect your loved ones. And I know the media wants to paint gun owners as people who wake up every day and can't wait to kill somebody, but that's (laughs) that's certainly not the case. The people I deal with on a daily basis, they, they pray they never have to use their firearm, but God forbid they have to protect themselves or their loved ones. They wouldn't have the option to do so. You'll hear a lot of folks on the media, make it sound like defensive gun uses on the parts of civilians just don't, often take place. Uh, They're they're very rare, and you're more likely to get killed by your own gun in your own home if you become a gun owner. Uh, Is that something that you, you explore in your research in the book that people ought to take a look at?
1: Oh, we spent an entire chapter on defensive gun use, and here's here's where the propaganda angle on this one is so unique. Um, in the book, we uh, list 12 different surveys that were done by criminologists, uh, polling companies, and media companies. The average annual defensive gun use rate when you combine all of those studies together is about 2 million times a year. What happens, though, is that very few people who use a gun defensively ever fire the gun. And even a lot of the people who fire the gun, fire it into the ground, up in the air, maybe try to uh, wound their attacker. So the number of people who get killed in a defensive gun use, the number of criminals who get killed, is actually very small. Well, the gun prohibitionists, they— Towed up that number. They only look at the number of criminals who get killed and they ignore that 2 million times a year when a rape or an assault or a homicide was prevented because somebody brandished a weapon and said, not today.
0: Right. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That? It's absolutely ridiculous. This drives me. Yeah, I'm, My blood pressure is going through the roof right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's better that we know that all this is going on and they're, they're using these statistics the way they are. I mean, there are so many more things that we go on. I really want people to, to get in the book and read the book. I don't want to spoil it for too many people. Is there any one last myth that maybe you want to give the listeners just a tiny taste of, of what they'll get a hold of when they pick up your book?
1: Well, once in a great while, things will surprise me when I dig in the data. And you'll find this in the book. But we started looking at uh, what, you know, are considered or named large capacity magazines. I hate using that term, but we'll go ahead and use it anyway. We started looking at their effect in mass public shootings and we discovered that large capacity magazines really don't have that much of a bearing on the situation if you eliminate the five to six uh, competition killers the people who are going for the new record of the high body counts Mm -hmm. then we discover that high capacity magazines don't have uh, as many fatalities as mass public shootings done with Handguns with their standard issue clips in them. So, this I thought was rather fascinating, and this led us to our big conclusion. When it comes to mass public shootings, if there's going to be a high body count, the greatest determining variable is what we called the cattle pin scenario. Get a lot of people packed into a tight place which either doesn't have very wide exits or doesn't have anything to hide behind. And that's when we start seeing these really horrific shootings, like the Pulse nightclub, like Sandy Hook Elementary, like the Las Vegas country music event. And that's the big criteria. It's not the firearm, it's not the magazine capacity, it's the fact that the next generation is always learning from the previous generation of mass murderers and they're finding the right ways to kill a lot of people, and finding a packed location is number one on their list. So it's not the object, the inanimate
0: object, uh, in particular. In this case, the high capacity magazines. I know we don't like to say that, but it's more the ill intentions, the strategy, the will to carry out this sort of a of uh, atrocity. That's uh, it?
1: yeah. It's the planning. Think about it for a second uh, to identify a target to train your uh, sights on it, to follow it while it's fleeing and to shoot it is a skill that a lot of expert marksmen don't have. Right. But if you have a packed room, it requires no skill whatsoever. You just point in the general direction of the crowd and you keep pulling the trigger. So it's the cattle pin scenario that's the one that worries me the most.
0: Uh, i got one final question before I let you uh, issue your parting words to our listeners. You know, often... You do hear knuckleheads like the guy who challenged you on television say things like America is far and away the worst when it comes to gun violence and homicides and things of that nature and these mass public shootings. And they're uniquely American. I think somebody who was in public office at one point said. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I know this might be a little bit of a spoiler alert for the book, but is that so, Guy? Is that true?
1: Oh, not even close. Not even close. Um And without uh, spoiling too much of the book, there is a recently developed large scale multilingual investigation of mass public shootings worldwide. And America doesn't even rank about halfway down the list. Um, We've got to understand that, you know. People who want to commit mass murder have existed for all of time, and they've been rather creative about it. In the history of mankind, arson is the number one way of committing mass murder. So in this modern day and age, anybody in any country who can get their hands on a gun, say like in Norway, I think that was where there were, what, uh, 74 killed that day? Um, you know, they're, they're going to be able to do the damage. And so it's not even remotely uniquely American you know, the, the
0: knucklehead who said those things to you responded somewhere along the lines of, well, maybe if you want to compare America to places like Somalia and everything. <laughs> I, I thought he was going to use a curse word the way the president did talking about certain countries. And I, I don't know if you remember that taking place. <laughs> he might as well have said the same thing. That's pretty much what he told you. Now, as far as that goes, uh, uh, I can tell you this. From a gun law perspective, uh, it has never been more difficult to purchase a firearm, to obtain a firearm legally than it is today in this country. It's not like years years ago in the 1930s. Uh, it was more difficult and now it's much looser. And now everybody can get a hold of one in ways different than they they could couldn't have in the past. That is just simply not the case. And people talk about situations where they grew up in places where... Everybody who went to high school during hunting season had a firearm in the back of their truck and nobody came in and shot up the school. Uh, And people often say who have had those experiences that if access to firearms were the problem, we would have known about it back then. So if access hasn't changed, then there might be there must be some other factor coming coming into play And, uh, you know, changing people's perception on the way things are happening in the country this day. Now, Guy, any parting words for our listeners? uh, Any suggestions you want to make to them? Anything you want to leave them with?
1: Well, the primary thing is don't buy anyone's hype. Don't even buy your own hype. If if I go a week without questioning one of my own beliefs, I've had a bad week. Hmm. So when you walk into this minefield of gun control and the politics and the propaganda that surrounds it, don't believe anyone. And I say it in my book. If you're reading this book, don't even believe me. Go and think about the data go and look at what's happening in the real world, not what's happening on television, and you'll start to come aware of the fact that things are not as they are always portrayed, and you can start triangulating down from there. And when we get into the book, we talk about the five bad actors. Those are the people who are causing all of the harm with guns. That's where, if we come up with any policy, we need to focus. Because we'll get the most amount of correction for the least amount of money as fast as possible.
0: There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Guy Smith, the book is called Guns and Control: A Nonpartisan Guide to Understanding Mass Public Shootings, Gun Accidents, Crime, Public Carry, Suicides, Defensive Use, and More. Get yourself the ebook today. Get yourself the ebook right away. Guy, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to say this on the air right here, right now. I've never done this before. But you, sir, have an open invitation to join our program whenever you wish, okay? Philly Chris is my witness on the air this morning. <laughs>
2: and I will take I'm writing you it up. down right now, Mike.
0: Yeah. <laughs> He's writing it down. Uh, and you can hold it against me in the court of law, I suppose, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Guy, thank you so much for joining us. You have a fantastic day. We wish you all the best with the book.
1: Thank you, Mike.
0: Mike G. from Mike G. in the morning here. I want to tell you a little bit about Elite Tactical Armory, your firearm storage solution in the Lehigh Valley. Elite Tactical Armory is a commercial armory where you can rent secure storage for your firearms. You can find out more information about Elite Tactical Armory at EliteTacticalArmory.com or PACommercialarmory.com. Don't forget to check out Elite Tactical Armory for your firearm storage solutions. For
2: more information, visit Elite Tactical Armory.com or PA Commercial com. That's Elite Tactical Armory.com or PA Commercial
0: com. For those of us just tuning in, you're listening to Mike G. in the Morning with The Law Matters, only on Fox News Radio, WFYL. Honor want remind our listeners that you can participate and the free and open exchange of thoughts and ideas throughout the entire week, utilizing the Mike G. in the Morning social media profiles. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Mike G. in the Morning. Our YouTube channel is Mike G. in the Morning. Don't forget to like our videos and subscribe. Our Twitter handle is at Radio Mike G. And we've also got a page on the Instant Grams website, our screen name on those Instant Grams, is Mike G. in the morning. I also remind everybody of the powerhouse lineup we've got here at the Fox News Radio WFYL family. We've got Ben Shapiro bringing you the Ben Shapiro show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Scott Adams coming at you with the Scott Adams show weekdays from 9 a.m. until noon. Second Amendment advocate Dana Lash coming at you weekdays from noon right until Ben Shapiro. And finally, we've got Michael Savage bringing you the Savage Nation. Weekdays at 6 p.m. So don't forget to tune in and show them some love. You know, we've got another very special guest with us this morning. Friend of the show, I guess we can call him, Eddie Moy. Eddie Moy served in the United States Air Force, he was corporal with the Pennsylvania State Police for over two decades served in a private military organization thereafter and has been working in the private sector in security and operations for several years thereafter. Eddie, are you with us?
3: Yes, Mike, I'm right here.
0: All right. Is, is that introduction enough for you? Can, can I call you a friend of the show at this point? <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh... Keep, keep going,
0: keep going, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just wonder if it's acceptable to to associate with us. Can we call you a friend of the show, right?
3: <laughs> yes, you
0: can. <laughs> you might catch a little bit of grief for that. I, I've got to warn you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Eddie, you know, you and I talk off the record, off the air quite a bit. And you had mentioned to me that you had some concerns in weeks previous regarding Black Lives Matter. And this is a very touchy subject because of the name of the organization in and of itself. And sometimes people will say that if you lodge any criticism towards the organization, their values, or what they stand for, then you in turn believe that black lives don't matter. So Ed, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's on your mind with respect to this organization and what you think about their principles and what they stand for?
3: Well, uh, according to them on their website, they, uh, they first of all they they want to defend the police. Mm. Okay, saying that the uh, criminal justice system is corrupt and insinuating that uh, that all cops are, and and we and we know that that's false. Uh, maybe. Uh, Two percent of cops may may have a problem. It may may not be good guys, but but the uh, the other ninety eight percent, all they want to do is do their job, work hard, and uh, go go home at night to their families. Now, if they want to defund the police, I'm I'm looking at the uh, stats from uh, the NYPD release for August. Uh, Says so that the number of people murdered citywide in New York City, fifty three versus thirty six. The same time last year, a forty-seven percent increase. Wow! Wow! You want to defund the police? Yeah, good. Good luck with that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, is it safe to say that you think defunding the police is not a great idea?
3: <clears throat> it's, it's one of the worst ideas uh, ever. But uh, this is a Marxist organization, and Dave, uh, I, I I heard a recording on someone's show uh, of one of the uh, Founders, one of the few female founders that admitted she and one of the other. There's three of them, but two of them have Marxist training, so they they're 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 coming right out of the Marxist handbook with this nonsense.
0: And they've they've openly said that, haven't they? I saw a video, I believe where they said we are trained Marxists. Does that concern you a little bit when you hear somebody boldly proclaiming that?
3: Actually, that, it doesn't concern me that they that they say that or or proclaim that. What concerns me is is that the, as we used to say in, in the police department, the the motoring public is going to believe that nonsense. There, mm-hmm. There's going to be a a, a group of people. Um, I'm sure not the majority, any majority, not in this country, but there's going to be enough uh, people in this country that are going to believe it. Particularly young people who, oh man, are you kidding me? Young uh, young people straight out of college or still in college are go, are going to buy into some of this nonsense and. That's
0: that's where the problem comes in. Well, it's more than just the young people, it seems. It seems like there's... Uh, think about every single sports organization, basically, right, has come out and publicly supported this group. You have college sports organizations coming out and supporting this group. And I'm not sure many of them have looked at the website the way you have to right. discover what they actually believe in. Uh, not to say that any of them would actually care if they found out they wanted to defund the police or any of these other things. Do you think that uh, most people in the African-American community, uh, in their heart of hearts, want to actually defund the police? Or is this something that's just being spoken for on their behalf, like so many other things?
3: No, yeah. The the majority of of African-Americans, from from what I've seen, want to... And need the police in, in their communities, and 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 they know it. They 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 want nothing to 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 do with defending the police. They uh, uh the 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 conservative African Americans that I've seen uh, don't don't want anything to do with with Black Lives Matter. They they say, of course, Black lives do matter, but the the organization Black Lives Matter, uh, I want nothing to do with.
0: And. That's- they purport to be uh, an organization that sets out to end police brutality. And uh, we could all agree, I think, that you know, there shouldn't be egregious you know, examples of police brutality. Police officers need to stay within the bounds of the law. They need to do their job safely and effectively. Absolutely. But um, it, the true mission seems to go well Beyond anything like this, doesn't it?
3: Yeah they they don't they don't want to stop there just just with uh, uh, defending the, the police. They've well see the, the the whole name of the organization is, is what I I have a problem with, and in, in, in any right thinking uh, Black American has a problem with because they aren't about Black lives. Like mm-hmm. I, I I was watching that that uh, a cut from the interview that uh, Terry Crews did with Don Lemon. Right and uh, Don 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 Lemon admitted that that the organization is 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 not about saving saving the lives of black kids in Chicago or or or, or black crime in 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 the communities is is mainly about police brutality. Okay, then change your name. That's right. That's, that's what I said. You you are not about black lives per se. You're about you're you about the black lives that you want to be about because there, there been what 30, 40 black people killed since, this, since since George Floyd, and I've 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 heard nothing about that, so, especially the kids. I've heard nothing out of religion, uh for that reason. You know, pro- protesting anything about these one-year-old kids and eight-year-old kids getting kids getting shot and killed, and that and that and that and that, and that one uh, teenage kid, a 19-year-old, uh, got killed in the chop-chase zone. He gets killed. No, nothing. You hear nothing from them. Excuse me. All the, all they want to talk about is is, uh, is police brutality, and then further in their in their mantra and on, on their on, on their website, they get into uh, we support the <clears throat> excuse openly support the L B G T whatever community and plus and and they get all into transgender and and, and that type of thing and then they say uh, Mike, I'm sure you read it. They want to dismantle the cis cisgender thinking. Which is the idea
0: that there are only two genders, male and female? Right. How does that have to, What does that have to do with uh, police brutality? If they, if so, Lemon's point to Terry Crews was, well, you know, you should go start something for the kids in Chicago and Baltimore if you want to protect yeah. black lives. But this particular organization all their mission is to do is to try to prevent police brutality from white cops against black police uh, against against black civilians right um, yeah. but fails to mention the fact that that's not what the website's mission statement says they've got all these other uh things that I can't figure out how they are associated with uh, police brutality things like uh what what you've just mentioned uh, and what something that's Very concerning to me is that they want to dismantle the family unit. They want to completely destroy the family unit, which I said over and over again, I think that is a huge problem in this country. I think that's why we see uh, so much uh, violence. The violence that we do see in this country has to do with the lack of accountability and the lack of a family unit. Do you think that's dangerous that they want to they're pushing to dismantle the family unit?
3: Oh, absolutely. And that's the uh, biggest problem in the, in the black community. Uh, lots of people will, will con- concur. Um, can has mentioned it. Um, like Larry Elder. Um, I read, I read a a, a, a portion of a book from this guy named uh, to leave Starks, and, and he wrote the, the five, uh, issues with, with the, with the black community are victimology number five. Um, I'm, I'm a victim, you know, poor, poor me, uh, the, uh, the white man's got his foot on my neck and I, and I, I can't get out, like, you know, it's, it's, it's all somebody else's fault. Then there should be, he says, number four, there should be a, 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 a racial dialogue. And now, um, Van, Van, Van Jones has just brought this up before, and I'm sure other, other black people say said, uh, we should have a, an honest dialogue about race in, in this country. Well, this guy, and he makes a good point there should be an an honest dialogue about a race between blacks and blacks because the far left blacks or or even blacks on the left do not want to listen to anything that a, a, that a right-wing black conservative has to say. And, and we've got to start up there as far as dialogue. Right. He goes into number three, he says, he calls it urban terrorism. That's where these, he says 47% of, 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 of black homicide victims are, or, or, 47% of homicide victims in this country are are, are, are black, and, and 52% of, of defenders are black. And we, and we, we make up 13% of the population. That's insane.
0: Well, I think you, that, you were saying uh, something, Mike? Yeah, No, I was just saying <laughs> that, that uh, you brought up Larry Elder. I think that's a, an interesting point, because people like Larry Elder, people like the late Herman Cain or Alan Keyes... Or even Eddie Eddie L. Moy, right? Corporal Eddie L. Moy. Uh, right. their opinions get dismissed summarily by people on the left who often cry racism and uh, how we're not having a diverse conversation. Uh, they only want the conversation to be diverse as long as everybody thinks the way they do. Is that fair to say?
3: <laughs> that is exactly right. And it it kills me when you when you have one of one of them who said, who, who, who say that they are Christian or Catholic, and I, I don't see how how any Christian Christian can can vote for for Donald Trump. The, the people on the left, I, 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 I think I, I said this last time, their God is the Democratic Party, or, or is is either the far left or dem, Democratic Party, and their and their Jesus is 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 Barack Obama, and that's that's all there is to it. So they can they can't see they they are assuming that we that we. Hold uh, Donald Trump on, on a pedestal the same way that they do Barack Obama, and and we don't. I've I've t- I've, t- I've, t- I've told my family, I like I like I like Donald Trump when he when he when he ran with those fifteen other, other candidates. He was number sixteen in my in, in my in, in in my book. But he's the president. I'm going to be stacking him, and I'm 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 going to I'm gonna, I'm going I'm going to give him as his, his dude. His, uh, uh, Jesus said, "Give the Caesar the Caesar's." And you know that's all there is.
0: I'm sure. just going to take a crack at this just because it's fun to do when we've got an election coming up and fun to talk politics. Uh, who was your number one? I would guess maybe Ted Cruz. Who would be your number yeah, one? You're right. You're right. Is Ted yeah. Cruz. I got it. I got it. Nailed it. Yeah. Philly Chris. You I hear that? It. <laughs> <laughs> Philly Chris. He's Cruz brilliant. Nominee. Uh, you know what would be interesting, and I got to give credit to my dad because he often says this. He th- he thinks that if Trump wins this time around, then he has the opportunity to appoint a Supreme Court justice to replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He should. Right. Appoint Ted Cruz to the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. Think about that—a lifetime appointment. You'll get all these pro-second yeah. amendment opinions. How how much would that drive <laughs> the left nuts if Ted Cruz got get appointed <laughs> to the there. Supreme Court by <laughs> Donald J. Trump in his second term? <laughs> Philly Chris, who was your uh, pick for the first time around? Uh, I'm, what we? I was thinking you know, about maybe really trying like to Ted guess Cruz
2: too, but uh, Ted Cruz. Well, Ted Cruz. I, yeah, I would
0: I like think Ted that Cruz you too, might be I, a, a Rand Paul guy.
2: I like Rand Paul too, actually. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. But you know, I had a feeling Trump was gonna pull it off, and and I liked the uh, energy and and newness he was bringing from you know an outside perspective, being a business person and all that. I mean, he's not perfect either, but uh, but yeah, I was kind of kind of hoping he would he would get in because I figured he could do the job, you know
0: yeah i think that ultimately what it yeah. was for a lot of people <laughs> i had a pastor I, i'm laughing because i i won't uh give the guy up or anything but i had a pastor tell me that basically the reason he and a lot of his friends were voting for donald trump was because it was a middle finger to the republican party i kid you not
3: right, right, <laughs> Ooh, right. That, Ooh. That, yeah well that it makes means sense, that he you know? really tapped
0: into something <laughs> if, you, if you got pastors right, yeah, feeling that so way well. right <laughs> for those of us just tuning in you're listening yeah. to mike g in Morning with the law matters only on Fox News Radio WFYL. Now, Eddie, uh, we've seen incidents around the country where you'll see large groups of people in the name of Black Lives Matter, this organization, uh, doing things that are are destructive or harmful, um, or even just intimidating. Like there was that video that we saw where everybody was standing up and raising their fists in the air and they were they were demanding that everybody at the outdoor restaurant do so in the name of black lives matter and one lady (laughs) refused to do so she refused to stand up because they were demanding that she did and they surrounded her they started yelling at her i I don't i don't want to say they got physical because i don't recall that being a part of the video but the very least, they surrounded her. They're shouting things at her. A group of people trying to intimidate her, force her into standing up, raising her fist in the name of their cause. Have you seen incidents like this taking place
3: on on television? Sure.
0: Yeah. How, how does that make you feel? Like if if you were sitting there as you know, a retired law enforcement officer, veteran, and an African American male, and this group comes in and says you must. <laughs> xy or z otherwise you're a racist how would you feel about that how do you think you'd react
3: i i think i w- i would have to sit there and uh there's no reasoning with these people but i would just have to hope that that they they didn't uh, get physical with me like the, like that kid that uh, shot shot those three people in uh, in Wisconsin in Kenosha
0: Right. Well, I'll tell you what. It it,
3: would not end pretty.
0: That's what I was going (laughs) to say. If they chose Eddie Moy to try to get physical, (laughs) that would be an extremely poor decision on their part, right? (laughs) Maybe go pick on somebody else, not Eddie Moy. Uh, But do you realize that there are a lot of these people like you? I'm glad you mentioned what happened over in Kenosha because I've been talking about that nonstop since it took place with the court documents that are available to us and with the the video that's available to us I'm talking about it being a defensive situation. It seems like these people who who attacked him, who attacked the gun owner under the circumstances, must have had some kind of false sense of reality, right? Because a normal person (laughs) looks at that and says, you go to grab somebody's rifle, you go to kick him in the head and hit him over the head with a skateboard. What the heck did you think was going to happen, right? I mean, (laughs) doesn't a normal person look at this and say, that's probably a bad idea. Maybe you shouldn't do that
3: yeah too many games well it's almost as if yeah yeah, i I was gonna say it's almost as as if they're thinking hey i'm antifa i'm bulletproof Come on right right but (laughs) but but that kid he was really he was he was a pretty good shot like he he, he's had some training he he wasn't indiscriminate he didn't he didn't lose it you know just start firing you know indiscriminately you know hitting other people he 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 uh shot his targets and uh, he hit his targets and uh That
0: was the end of it. And I've been basing my opinion, Eddie. I know that, you know, I haven't done an investigation on this. I'm not saying that me and Eddie went down to Kenosha with magnifying glass and played detective and interviewed witnesses. And we've got all the facts. What I can tell you is that we're basing this off of the criminal documents that are charging this guy with homicide in the first degree, which essentially first degree murder. So if they're trying to put him in jail for the rest of his life based on these accusations, I think it's fair to say that their description of the facts is not in the light most favorable to Rittenhouse, right? I think it's fair to use that set of facts if they're trying to use it against him. And uh, what we see is something that is certainly justified under the law. Now, Philly, Chris, did you have something regarding uh, Black Lives Matter and their online presence and their... uh,
2: Yeah, there was something I wanted to ask you, Eddie, since we've been uh, on the topic tonight, uh, today, I should say, Mm -hmm. about uh, Black Lives Matter. The... um, have you, have you followed the funding at all? I've been looking into that a little bit, and I've seen some things about uh, Act Blue and Thousand Currents. I don't know if you have any information on that, or you've seen anything about where the funding that's going to uh, Black Lives Matter is being directed at all.
3: I, From uh, what I understand, the funding is, is going into the the Democratic Party. Mo- mo- okay. Well, the, they are donating these funds. To, to, okay. to the Democratic Party. It's got nothing to do, again, nothing to do with black lives or the black community. You know, right. they've got, what, uh, h- half a billion dollars now or something? I don't know, a billion dollars? Yeah, it's a lot and of money, yeah. I, I've been
2: looking into that a little bit. Unbelievable, unbelievable these corporations. Right. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it looks like only about, I think Glenn Beck did something about it, and uh, only 6% is going to, like, the local chapters, and then the other... Ninety-four percent, like you said, I think is going to the DNC, and then salaries and travel and consulting makes up like eighty uh, percent, which seems odd. So, and, you know, and, I think there's some. Go ahead.
3: Well, to, well, to, well, travel. Travel, I'm sure, encompasses writing and, uh, you know, you right. Know. Exactly. Yeah, that's
0: what I was going to ask you. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. The funding for the spray pain and the uh, stuff they need. Molotov cocktails. Uh, oh, right, that's right. right. They just yeah. uh, uh, they just um, arrested a guy with. With a flamethrower? Did you guys hear about that in Wisconsin? Oh no!
2: No! Really? No. Oh!
3: Okay. Yes, I, I, I saw online today. They was a guy. A guy had got a flamethrower. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the Justice Department got him. Oh my goodness! This guy! Wow! Unbelievable! One of those. Uh, yeah, I we're
2: that's
0: how I that sounds, yeah. Yeah, that sounds yeah, yeah. awesome. <laughs>
2: uh, Elon yeah. Musk was selling them for a little while, but they were they were
0: not oh, actual, oh, flame uh, yeah. No, his was called Not yeah. a Flamethrower, not a flame, specifically, thrower, right. not a flame, <laughs> yeah, about, right. Yeah. It, it may have had uh, some uh, similar characteristics to a flamethrower, but it was not legally yeah. a It's
2: exactly the same, but totally
3: yeah. different. But
0: totally different, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
3: right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, it, uh, ran right? it ran on batteries, right? They ran on batteries. Yeah, it's electric. Yeah. <laughs> I like think Eddie Boy has uh, a plane.
0: few of them at home, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm guessing. I, I've heard at least. No comment, no comment. No <laughs> comment. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> we gotta go hang out at your place, Eddie. Well, uh, I'm glad that we could talk about this uh, because the way I've felt about the organization is when I went online and I read this stuff about getting rid of the family unit, and I think that that's an issue not only in the African-American community. When I say it, I mean uh, with our country as a whole. We have really, really uh, diminished the value and the importance of the family unit by encouraging swift and easy divorce, right? Nobody even tries anymore. Uh, just go ahead and, and get rid of it um, by uh, you know degrading the institution of marriage, uh, talking about how it's just some kind of social construct. Listen, uh, by getting rid of the family unit as a whole what we're doing is we're getting rid of accountability. And I deal with people who are looking for second chances in life on a constant basis. People who have had old crimes and they want to get things like pardons in order to turn their life around in order to to clean up their record. And one of the common things we see is a lot of the times these folks, they've had this, uh, this past that was riddled with crime. And then at some point they became a family person where they, they, got married they had children and uh, they started to care more about their family and that seems to be something that turns people around there's no two ways about it uh, it's something that definitely has an impact on people in a positive manner uh, but, but you know our culture has wanted to flush that down the toilet for quite some time and it's uh, concerning to see that black lives matter has this as a part of their mission statement uh, it doesn't yeah, seem well, like this is this is quite what it seems that they're going out there for.
3: Yeah. Well, it's it's well, a it's it's a easier to to control. You know, you can control people easier. You Chris? Yeah, that's that's a very yeah.
2: Good... I think that's a good point. Yeah, just thinking like there's almost like a blind faith sometimes with these organizations. Like one of the things that I liked that you pointed out, Eddie, was the the facts behind what they're really doing, and and also following the money, which is why I wanted to mention that. So I think, unfortunately, at the surface is. You know, um, you got to scratch deeper than the surface to see what's really going on with these groups and the real consequences yeah. of just putting that blind faith in them. Any any group, for that matter.
3: So uh, hey, I, I heard I heard something kind of, kind of funny you know, the other a, a comedian was saying how it's really stupid that the uh, Democrats want to lower the uh, voting age to, to 16. He says he he says he can see himself talking to his 16 his, uh, year old son and oh, hey Johnny, who who, who are, are you going to vote for? I'm going to vote for Bernie. No, now you're your grounded. Go to your <laughs> room. Right. How are you going to vote? And I just
0: grounded you. He said, this, <laughs> this is stupid idea. I'm going to suspend your allowance that I give you to pay for the gas money, right? <laughs> they
3: can do it through the mail, Eddie. They can do it
0: through the mail. Oh yeah, they can, <laughs> they can vote through the mail. That's right. Oh,
3: Another way to cheat. There you go. That is funny. <laughs>
0: uh, but Eddie. You know, I've made this comparison before just because the the title Black Lives Matter, if you disagree with the organization, that doesn't mean that you disagree with the the concept that Black Lives Matter. Of course, that's what they want to push on the rest of us. That's what they want to tell us is that if you don't agree with uh, destroying the family unit and things of that nature, if you're not a Marxist, then you don't believe that Black Lives Matter, which is absolutely total nonsense. Obviously. Uh, it feels like they're creating an organization. I told Philly Chris this a while back. I said, let's say the organization was called Don't Beat Up Nuns, right? And they ask, well, what do you do at Don't Beat Up Nuns? And it's like, well, we uh, we we kill puppies. That's, that's our mission statement over here. <laughs> and they say, holy mackerel, I'm not for that. And you say, well, then you must want to beat up nuns, right? Well you just said yeah, you're not, you you're not for don't beat up nuns. So uh, you know, obviously <laughs> you're a hateful person, you want to beat up nuns. And it's it's, it's really it's a tough, uh, tough situation to be in. So what would you recommend to our listeners who are struggling with this? Uh, you know, they they are dealing with the organization of Black Lives Matter. How prevalent it's become, and not only the mainstream media, it's infiltrating every area of sports and things of that nature. What would you tell people? Maybe some people sort of feel guilty that they disagree with the organization. Should they feel
3: guilty? Oh heck, heck no! Listen, as as you were just saying, the organization you can you can uh, disagree with. But but you yeah, you must understand that as as we, I'm sure we all understand, all lives matter. And if you just wanna, want to want to fall say say the line, say yes, but black lives do matter. But I I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is it doesn't have to be exclusively just just for black people. But if you just want to ag- agree agree with that with that mantra, is fine. But you can't you can't just box it in like that, as as a, as a Terry Crews said. Um, as, and, and, and have it morph into black lives better. It, it can't be better. It's got to be either But black, yes, black lives do ma- matter, but all lives matter. And, no, you cannot feel guilty about this. Those people are insane. They've got this, this thing. I, I, I don't know how long it, this organiza- organization is going to be around, but I can't I can, I can see it being around being as strong as it is tw- 20 years from now.
0: Well, Eddie, we really thank you for joining us this morning. It is always a pleasure to have you. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your insight with us. We hope to have you back soon. That's all the time we've got for today, folks. Stick around for we the people, the Constitution Matters. Pastor David Whitney, Professor Phil Duffy, I'll be joining as your legal analyst. Stay safe. Take care, folks. We miss you, Ellie. Daddy loves you.